David? Yes, Mark? Can we start with the quiz this time? Well, I suppose it's unorthodox. Go on, then. Question number one. What do Pink, Jason Sudeikis from The Great Ted Lasso, Hannibal Lecter, Charles Bronson and Yesha Haifetz have in common? From the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. And a jolly warm welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. We did something very unusual. I didn't. It was Mark as usual. Mark, why on earth the quiz before we even started? I thought it would give us a clue as to where we were going, although we knew where we were going. Otherwise, we might have got on the wrong plane. And the truth is, when we recorded that, we weren't actually where we are now. Which is this gorgeous courtyard outside a stately home that was built in the 17th century. 1677. To be precise. Should we give the answer or should we talk a little bit more about this place? So the quiz question was based around five people, four of whom were real, and one of whom was obviously Hannibal Lecter. And what did they have in common? And the answer, and this is the quickest we've given the answer, so you can switch off now if you only came (laughs) for the quiz, is they are all of Lithuanian descent because we are in Vilna, Vilnius, Vilnius, depending on how it's pronounced, the capital of Lithuania. We're outside a delightful hotel, which we have been inside as well, sleeping the night away like like babies. Uh, this is the Pakai Hotel, uh, right in the heart of the historic district, the old town. We actually were staying in stables. I can see your window now. You've got the round one of the round ones yes. up at the top. Through the square window. It's just... A, a beautiful hotel. Breakfast was really nice this morning. Yes, I think this is the number one or one of the two like premium hotels in Vilnius. Absolutely the case. So talking of, of Vilnius, we're going to be spending the next couple of days here and in the surroundings. What are you expecting? What do you know about what we as sort of Jewish people would have called Vilna way back when, which is now the capital of Lithuania? Vilnius has a small population, roughly about half a million, which for a capital city is is not huge. I think the metropolitan area goes up to about 700,000. It Miss, was, Mr. Google. It was famed for its Jewish population before the war. It was almost called Jerusalem, and we'll, we'll go into that in more detail while we're out and about. But having been in Poland, we're only the other side of the Baltic Sea from where Gdansk, where we've been in the past. I'm expecting some similarities to there. But also, for a lot of people, this was like the centre of the pale. Pale of settlement, absolutely yes. the case. We will hopefully be talking um, about the whole Lithuanian Jewish Litvak experience a little bit later on today. As well as finding out other things. We're going on an adventure, which for David and I and our fear of heights could be something special. That's weather pending. It's lovely at the moment. It's cloudy and about... 50 degrees Fahrenheit, 10 degrees Celsius. Having just come from Israel, this is beautiful. It is very, very comfortable. We're going back inside the hotel to meet up with our tour guide, Lena. uh, And we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes and, and introduce you to her. And we hope you enjoy this trip as much as we're going to. I've got the most amazing view in front of me. 
I say amazing a lot, but this is wonderful. We've come up the tower in the middle of Vilnius University, and it has a 360-degree panoramic view. And I've also got a guest with us. Would you like to say hello and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Lena. I'm a guide from Vilnius. And my guests um, are lucky to come at the most beautiful time of, this, of, of the year when uh, just to know uh, the foliage of the trees turns into something yellow red and impressive. You've walked us round this view and almost explained that the history of the city has grown up in a, a clockwise manner around the tower based on marriages and strategic alliances over the, the last seven, eight hundred years. If you had to try and summarize in a couple of minutes what's in front of us and a little bit of the history of Vilnius, how would you do that? What I would start with would be always the cathedral square. The cathedral square has uh, the most majestic wide building with columns brought here by local architects from Rome as an idea that Vilnius has to have something very, very majestic. Now it's a representative square as the beginning of the city. From here we have the whole clockwise rays of city development. When we start there at the cathedral square, we usually go to the very center of it which has a tile that says miracle. The tile is there for local people to have their dreams come true. It happened to the city too. It's the tile of growth. And from that particular point, the city just exploded to many directions. Started by the river, where the cathedral square is, then uh, our city developed towards uh, south because one of our dukes married a Polish princess and Poland became our strategic partner. The city then developed along the highway to Poland. This road became the royal road, giving the city the royal feeling, crown feeling to it. The city uh, attracted lots of people since then from different countries, so it formed into a number of quarters from people of eastern lands, of Slavic origin, of people of western lands, of Germanic origin, the Jewish quarter. It grew into international market um, just along the street or the highway to Poland. This all represents the majestic times of independent Grand Lithuanian Duchy when Lithuania had its own dynasty and was really an influential state um, in Europe. That changed a little from the 17th century on when you know, um, Russia became stronger and started to cause trouble to our country and eventually by the end of 18th century took it. So uh, another part of our city is built by Russian Empire. What they did, they envisioned Vilnius as a center of uh, growth and industry. And so they built lots of beautiful buildings and in, um, made it very strong economically. Then uh, if we look across the river at the far horizons, we will see uh, the developments of the Soviet Union. Lithuania was unlucky to belong to it and, uh, for 50 years uh, after the Second World War till 1990 when Lithuania was the first to declare independence from the Soviet Union. The city also grew industrially and that's when it was surrounded by the sleeping districts as we call them. And uh, all these periods, uh, they left their beautiful marks. Uh, and I think as we now you know, celebrate independence and are free, so everything is just considered to be as a treasure of growth. Let's go for a little walk and we'll see some of the highlights of the city. When we came down from the uh, wonderful tower at the centre of the university, 
Lena took us on a tour of some of the artwork within the university, all designed, created in the 1980s, but with themes spanning history, pagan beliefs, the hopes of the people, the agricultural heritage, and so on. Now we've walked across to the Cathedral Square that you also spoke about, and you're gonna to have to stand very, very close to me because you're going to explain what we're about to do, but I'm just worried that because I've got all these wires, that you and I are going to get twisted together very, very quickly. The microphone wires will make the next act very difficult. So what are we about to do? Right in the middle of the Cathedral Square, we have a tile, a special tile, that was made by a contemporary artist, um, Gitanya Sumbrasas, who uh, measured here the energy flows. And the energy flows here are the most intensive um, because that's where the feminine and masculine powers cross. And it's believed the place of the majestic dreams come true. Um, that's why you probably noticed already local people stopping here on the tile, turning three times with a dream in their mind, and then running again. Um, I myself uh, tried to collect uh, the statistics about you know the dreams that have come true, and it's actually very positive. To my uh, data, 80% of dreams come true as long as you follow the procedure very precisely. You sound like you've turned this into a science. I see <laughs> what you mean is you, you ask people, and so can you share, are you allowed to share any of those stories with us or not? Uh, I haven't asked of the specific dreams. I just collected the information if they came true. Because people tend to believe it, that you don't have to tell the dream um, unless you know it, it, it's uh, final. So next stage of my research would be to find the stories. I have to describe this. So the cross in the middle is, is the sun. Is the sun, and it's of got the directions and it of has the world. Eight, eight points on it. Mm -hmm. Now. The letters, are they the Lithuanian letters for northeast, southwest, and so on? No, they don't coincide with the directions. It's the word, stebuklas, starting with S and ending with S, uh, which means miracle. Which is why you described it as being the miracle tile earlier on. Exactly. What does one have to do? One uh, that has to stand on the tile facing letter S because it's the last and the first. At the same time, you face the cathedral. Uh, you have cathedral in front of you as, you know, one of the most important uh, powers right. to help you. Then you turn around three times with the sun for the sun to help you. So there are many powers helping you as long as you're ready for the dream. Uh, now forgive my cynicism, but <laughs> it isn't exactly a sunny day. And maybe it's because I'm here and I'm trying to do something that involves luck. And we talked before in the university campus about the belief in the good luck and the bad luck, almost a, a local karma. What does the cloudy day mixed with the, this... Uh so it's even better because then you already overcome the first obstacle because you have to be ready to, to work for it. It's not just, you know, relying on it. Mm -hmm. You have to make some extra steps. That's why the procedure is so precise because if you don't follow the procedure precise, then you're not ready for your dream to come true. Okay, and, and do I need to know what the dream is ahead of time? Like I need to have something specific in my yes, mind? Yes, exactly. The more specific it is, the better. Okay, I've got something. So let's... Okay, uh, so are you going to walk around with me since you're holding I the microphone? I ready for that. Actually, in Judaism, at a marriage ceremony amongst Ashkenazic Jews, the groom stands still in the middle of the canopy and the bride-to-be walks around him seven times. So you're going to walk around me three times with me. That's almost like doing... a marriage Yes, now. it's almost like a marriage <laughs> ceremony. Okay, so I'm standing on yeah. the letter S. Yeah. I look towards the cathedral. 
you have my thought yes and then we turn around three times okay closing my eyes and now we you're following me around what do you think of this yourself one that's one okay do i stop on the s yes okay Am I meant to be concentrating rather than talking? Yes, let's, oh, let's okay. have the concentration. Okay, I'll concentrate. This is two. And I just noticed this is three. This that you're doing death in front of Moses. Oh, you're right. That is so funny. Isn't it a small world? And this, of course, is Moses with the, tra- the traditionally Christian de- the depiction of Moses with, with the horns, which came exactly. from, is it Michelangelo? Something just, uh, yeah, they translated it wrong. Right, and right. The words, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, Keren. shining, it yeah. has the horns. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You talk to lots of people. Have you done this yourself? Yes, the, the turning around, And has your yes, dream come true? yeah. Was it something that was difficult or was it something that you know what it would have happened anyway it was it was actually a personal relation with a person so it was not very easy to come to achieve but um it worked amazing thank you (laughs) we've just finished a really fascinating tour of what was the jewish quarter of vilnius with a different guide who will introduce herself yulia Yes, I'm Julia Janus. I am artist and fashion designer and I have my hobby, let's say hobby, creative place making. So this place was my master's work for international school of business and I was trying to find the core identity of this place and worked uh, together with a community about it. Can you summarize what's in this quarter? It's not just a historical Jewish quarter, although there is a lot of history here relating to not just the Jews, but Vilnius itself. But what is here now? Probably one of the most international quarters in Vilnius, where a lot of people of different nationalities are living and creating this place again. So you can find here people from Israel, from Switzerland, from Denmark, from uh, Ireland, from Netherlands, Sweden, England, all over. <laughs> and even a Danish princess as we walked down through the quarter. There seemed to be a party going on for her. Going back through the history and this quarter is five, six hundred years old. Can you tell us some of the Jewish highlights of this quarter? Uh, this quarter is uh, 600 years old as far as we know it and for 400 years it was Jewish quarter, Jewish district. And it's uh, situated uh, in the center of Old Town, but before 300, 400 years, it was uh, the outskirt of main city. Uh, craft people lived here and worked with metal, gold, glass, and printing. Also, the first printing house was built here. <laughs> Which we stood just by now. Right. And there's some modern Jewish art now around the quarter. It is, actually. There is a... Um, gallery of Jewish artists in the center, in the plaza, main plaza. (laughs) This gallery today was closed, but the artist, he came from Tel Aviv, he settled here and he decided that this is the most quiet place in the the world and he wants to create here. (laughs) But there was street art as well that we saw. 
The street art, right. The street art where the artist took uh, Lina Shlipovichuta, her name is Lina Shlipovichuta, she took the uh, photos of 100 years old from the same place, from the same street, from the same corner, and she just uh, made a graffiti on the wall in the same place from that photo and called this project Walls That Remember. This is a uh, beautiful project to remind us about people who lived here 100 years ago. As we know, in between of us now and 100 years ago, there were uh, tragic events which just took away all the residents from this quarter uh, during the World War Two. Just around the corner from where we stood, there's a sign which marks the Vilnius Ghetto right. uh, between 1941 and 1943. Yep which sadly marked the, the end of Jewish presence really in this quarter in any significant numbers. Yes, right. Julia, thank you. Thank you so much. At the start of the podcast, we mentioned some of the names that this city has carried over the years, and one that will have caught the attention, certainly of most of our Jewish listeners, and indeed anybody else who who follows Jewish tradition, is the name Vilna, and the associated rabbi with that town, who was the Vilna Gaon, the genius of Vilna. We're now standing outside one of the places where he lived. Lina, take it away. We stand right at the side of the house where Gaon of Vilna used to live. He was born somewhere in Belarus and uh, noticed as a very bright genius uh, kid by his parents and sent to Vilna for school because right here at the Grand Synagogue they have schools for talented children. Then he spent the majority of his life uh, in Vilna even though he traveled and stayed some other places but this was his home for a very long time. We believe that he spent the majority of his years, uh, almost all of his life, standing in the cold water and devoting 20 hours a day to read all the authentic materials of Jewish tradition, religion, Torah, Talmud, analyze, and then make sure that every authentic word is recovered from them for the Jews to have the most authentic material to lead daily life and religious life. What we know about him, too, that uh, he was the person that Jewish people from many countries would come for advice and just to stand by him. He had pupils that, you know, were very loyal to him and spent their lives right next to him writing whatever he had to say. He wanted to make sure that knowledge is the most important thing and that every Jew in the area, in Vilna, in uh, Lita, knows the tradition and follows it and wherever he lives takes it together with him. Lena and I have been doing lots of turning together today. We're going to turn 180 degrees. As we turn to our right, there is a statue, which I think is a sort of the classic image of him with this beard that stretches out in every direction, almost as if he were one of the, the, the Greek philosophers. It, it's got that sort of look. But if, as we move beyond that, there's a building that looks like maybe it's a school building, perhaps. Tell us about what used to be here. So we are standing in front of the former kindergarten, which actually is a very typical Soviet construction. Why it's here? Because right in the middle of the old town, 
and during the Second World War, we had a quite an intensive air battle that destroyed this area almost completely. And grand synagogue of Jewish community happened, unfortunately, to stand also here. And uh, it was almost uh, fully destroyed during the Second World War. And the Soviets, usually, I uh, know we're not considering the reconstruction of old heritage, or especially the buildings of spiritual nature. So uh, what they did, they destroyed it and built up the kindergarten. Typical, very Soviet, very simple and absolutely um, not nice looking building here. But what they have to say here about the history of Grand Synagogue is that uh, when the Jewish community in the 17th century approached the Duke with a request to build the Grand Synagogue of Vilna, they uh, got the instructions that the building can be big, but it cannot be taller than the Catholic churches of the city. So then the Jewish community decided to make it largest by digging deep and making extra two floors under the, uh, no, in the cellars. So now it's the moment of luck because during the archaeological excavations that are carried out now since 2013, almost every summer they have lots of materials because they can you know find the remains of the synagogue the holes of the synagogue the baths of the synagogue uh, on the lower levels they also carried out archaeological research this year and they managed to find the most sacred places of the synagogue and that was almost viral news globally we can't actually see anything now for reasons of preservation that's usually what they do. They carry out archaeological research in July and August. And then uh, for the rest of the year, they preserve it, cover it again. Of course, they mark the places according to their you know, procedure. Um, so they already almost did the archaeological research on both sides of the kindergarten, and I think under it too. So um, I hope we'll find out what's next uh, for this uh, story and this building eventually. I don't know what I drank at lunch, but <laughs> I'm I'm now sat on a high chair in the River Vilna, and we've actually left Vilnius, and we're in the independent micronation of Uzupis. Let's describe a little bit more. When when Mark says a high chair, we're not talking about the type that you would put your toddler in, but rather you are. I mean, how many feet up are we? What uh, five, six, four, four, five feet up? Yeah. From the river. A couple of metres above the river. There's nothing below us other than the river. Our wonderful, wonderful guide, Lena, who is truly tremendous, um, is busy taking photographs of us and trying desperately not to laugh. We're going to spend the next hour or two wandering around this independent micronation. You know I'm a lord of a micronation. I believe you are. Is it called Sealand? Sealand. Sealand. Is that a micronation? Lena says it's a self-proclaimed republic Republic. of Uzupis. Just to tell you what I can see in front of me, I mean, we've already been to a Tibetan square because Tibet was the second country to recognize Lithuania's independent and and the Dalai Lama has been here three times and the Dalai Lama is the honorary first person of Ujupis but over to my right is a statue shaped like a bottom <laughs> to, to, my, to, to my left is a block with a washing machine door in it and on this building here is some artwork of a hedgehog on an Apple Mac it's truly a bizarre place we're going to find out much much more as we wander around with Lena. 
Vilnius Region Fact File. There are direct flights to Vilnius from Tel Aviv with Wizz Air and Ryanair. There are also flights from Paris, London, Frankfurt, Brussels and Helsinki. The flight time from Tel Aviv is about three and a half to four hours. Getting from Vilnius Airport to the city centre is simple and takes about 15 to 20 minutes by car or direct bus. There are shuttle buses and taxis at the entrance to the terminal. You can also use Bolt or Uber. Vilnius's transport system includes buses and trolley buses. There are also taxis, e-taxi apps including Bolt, Uber and others. There are also electric scooter and bicycle sharing apps. For inter-regional travel, you can rent a car or buy a ticket for inter-regional bus or train rides. Vilnius has global hotel chains such as Hilton, Marriott, Kempinski, Radisson and Novotel, as well as cosy affordable boutique hotels like the Pachai, Artagonist, Vilnia and others. One euro will cost you around $1.15. The average temperature in the summer is between 19 and 22 degrees Celsius or 66 to 72 Fahrenheit. However, on some days temperatures can reach 30 degrees Celsius, 86 Fahrenheit. January and February are the coldest months with temperatures around 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, but sometimes temperatures drop well below that. Lithuanian cuisine has its roots in the food of the Karaites, Tatars, Jews, Greeks, French, Italians and Germans. You can find Jewish style dishes including bagels, latkes, kugel, herring and curd donuts. Kosher food is available at the bagel shop in the Jewish community centre. So David and I have climbed off our chairs in Ujupis and we're now having a cup of coffee and we've got a very special guest with us. My name is Anna Avidan. I am uh, Vilnius born. I'm a psychologist by my education and profession, but now I'm leading a charity organization which is called Jerusalem of the North under the brand name Litvakvold, found in 2011 here in Vilnius, having a name to promote the rich uh, Jewish heritage in Lithuania and to build bridges between the diaspora and Lithuania. What is a Litvak or what was a Litvak? Litvak is a kind of a Jewish culture which was widely spread in the times of and territories of Grand Duchy of Lithuania. It's a special Yiddish, particular intellectual thought and even uh, cuisine. So Litvak World works on a number of projects but the main project seems to be the Great Synagogue Project. Yeah, that's uh, right. Can you tell us about the Great Synagogue and what your organization is doing? The Great Vilna Synagogue, which was built in the 17th century in the center of the old town of Vilnius, used to be the heart of the Jewish community life here for centuries. It was really famous and the main place of thought of communal gatherings. It was used not only for religious purpose. For some people it was even a matter of prestige to pray there during the main holidays during the year. During the Holocaust when the whole Jewish community, almost the whole Jewish community was annihilated here, the synagogue 
was damaged and uh, when the war was over it was standing in the ruined old city of Vilnius without the roof but still someone took care for it making a plague that it has to be protected by the government but it uh, didn't take long time and in 50s Soviets demolished it and build a typical kindergarten kindergarten building on top of the site and since then even people from Jewish families that were attending this kindergarten did not know what is the site and earlier in the day with Lena we went to the site and she told us about the excavations that have been going on each year the fact that it's covered over at the moment where do you see this going to what could you see being developed on the site i believe when we were talking before we turned on the microphones that the kindergarten is currently not being used how could you see all of that being developed it is obvious that uh, Vilnius Jewish community does not need uh, it as a rebuilt prayer house because we have uh, there is no one to pray there unfortunately but we think that uh, the most important thing is to recover at least the dignity of the great synagogue to recover at least part of the former intellectual pulse that it had and to make the place attractive for young people to inspire them to promote humanistic values based on the history of the site to teach people to be open to otherness one of the other projects that the Litvak world organizations seem to be working on is the 100 synagogues project which i think traces the synagogues pre-war in in Vilnius and has found more than 100 synagogues so far yes this uh, project was inspired by our cooperation with the director of the center for the jewish art in at the hebrew university in jerusalem dr vladimir levin whose research on the Vilna synagogue just uh, opened our eyes. He has revealed the 136 locations of the Vilna synagogues, which uh, we thought would be very important to show people the scale of the Jewish life. When we are talking about numbers of people or numbers of periodicals, it shows a bit, but when you see that every second person was Jewish and that in such a small city we had more than 100 synagogues so maybe it gives a more clear picture of what was and what we have lost so one synagogue was left from all of those 137 all too often as mark and i travel eastern europe and interview people who have a speciality in, in the jewish history of the region our interviews tend to head in a very depressing direction but I want to finish this interview with you on something a little bit more positive. Talk to us about the communist times here and folk dancing in the 1980s. Yes, uh, I was part of this uh, folk dancing movement in the 80s. We're talking Jewish, Israeli Jewish, folk dancing. Mostly Jewish, not Israeli. We did not know much about Israel at that time because, uh, as you probably know, even... My uh, uncle lived in Haifa at that time and it was very difficult even to correspond with him. So we knew mostly about Jewish folk culture and it was a kind of a 
practicing Jewish tradition and keeping Jewish community together, though it was uh, forbidden almost. As they said, it was not forbidden, but they had many restrictions. And today I would say that I feel that everything is possible. The politics are very favorable and you can do everything. You have to act and there are really no obstacles. We have uh, huge support from the city, city municipality, from the Ministry of Culture, from the government. And uh, I believe this will last for long. <laughs> We're back to the streets of Ujupis, and there is one strip that contains probably about 20, 25 plaques. And each of these plaques is the constitution of Ujupis in a different language, including Yiddish and Hebrew. Yes, I've managed to walk my way up, and I've been busy checking the grammar in French as well. <laughs> so I think what we should probably do, just to give people a bit of a feel for what this kind of mini state is all about is to read a few of the items on the constitution so do you want to pick one yeah number six everyone has the right to love that's really nice everyone has the right not to be loved but not necessarily that's getting complicated number four given what i've just read everyone has the right to make mistakes that's a relief at number 12 a dog has the right to be a dog and as a former cat owner number 13 a cat is not obliged to love its owner but must help in a time of need i'm going down and i'm going to read numbers 39 to 41 do not defeat do not fight back do not surrender and the most important one number 37 everyone has the right to have no rights i am now in the middle of Europe, we are at Europus Parkus, if I've said that correctly, which is a lovely park on the outskirts of Vilnius, full of sculpture and modern art. And the park was built at the point that is deemed to be the center of Europe. And I'm going to talk to our lovely guide, Lina, and ask her a bit about the park. Europus Parkus has not only a geographical meaning, it also has a um, political and a ideological meaning for Lithuanians uh, to feel the center of the world. One of the artists, the local artist, Karosas, he decided that uh, this place should become also the you know a point of interest for local people to come and to spend as much time as possible to indulge in some art and to just really spare some time of the leisure time with their family in a beautiful piece of nature surrounded by pine trees you know and uh, oak trees and the internationally proclaimed uh, artists made quite a number of sculptures here for people to stand and listen to the stories that they wanted to say that's why european center right here is worth a visit for a person who is, you know, hunting the places of geographical and historic importance. David and I have had a beautiful walk around the park and we've been talking about some of the sculptures and what they mean. But my highlight certainly has been that this park contains a Guinness World Record. It has the sculpture with the most television sets in it. And while we were discussing it, 
David told us a story about the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, I would love to tell this story and mock David, but I will let David tell the story himself. And mock myself. Once upon a time when I was a little boy in the 14th century, I was probably about seven years old, and somebody called Deborah, who was my babysitter, really wanted me to get into bed as quickly as possible. And so she said, let's time how quickly you can get into bed. And I said, can we write to the Guinness Book of World Records and send it in and see if it'll be a real record? And she said, absolutely, not thinking that I was serious. I got undressed in about 17 point something something seconds, jumped into bed and was out like a light. And Deborah went downstairs to watch TV thinking she'd got her job done properly. The following day, I wrote off to the Guinness Book of World Records or Guinness World Book of Records or whatever it is. And they replied and they replied as follows dear david thank you so much for sending in your attempted record unfortunately this is not something that we can accurately measure because it depends on the number of buttons that you had to undo on your shirt and the number of buttons that you had on your pajamas and how long it took you to brush your teeth and this is why i love traveling because a walk in the park in Lithuania can get a story like that out of David. At the end of episode 18, while we're in Lublin, we said at some point we should go to Lithuania and wave at the people in Lublin, like we did when we were in Lublin, waving at the people in Lithuania. And when we were in Lublin, it was lovely and sunny, and we were waving at the poor people in Lithuania in the rain. Now we're in Lithuania, in Vilnius, and it's raining. And we're still by the portal, and everybody's staring, and they're in the sun, it's not fair. How is the weather generally in Vilnius for people who are listening to this, who are thinking about traveling? When's a good time to come? We didn't expect the end of September to be that cool and that rainy. It's supposed to be the Indian summer with some really warm weather coming in. So the best time to plan your visit is either in May when it is all blooming and very beautiful and really warm, 20-25 degrees. Um, in June and in uh, July is also a very good time to come. August gets crowdier. Well, September, it's usually good. So uh, all the unlucky days happened this year. Next year, it will be all sunny and shiny. So do consider that coming. Well, a jolly, very, very early pre-dawn. Good morning to you. Good evening. We've woken up at the crack of dawn uh, and been taken from uh, Vilnius about uh, half an hour, 45 minutes away to Trakai, which we'll talk a lot more about during the course of the day. But we're going to do something very special indeed. Heights. What don't we like, David? (laughs) We don't like high heights. We don't like being unprotected when we are on high heights. Yes. You know, I think when we were in Abu Dhabi, we uh, didn't want to go on the water slide because it was a little bit high. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't go up in high buildings because they were a bit high. When we were in Poland, going up the top of some of the bell towers was a little bit too high for me. So when the lovely people at Lithuania Travel said, you've got a choice, you can go cycling or do something else, I went, no, I don't fancy cycling. So they're sending us high. We're going to be going about a kilometre up into the sky in a picnic basket. <laughs> in a picnic basket. <laughs> <laughs> We're going hot air ballooning. 
Uh, this is going to be... Are we nervous? We are. <laughs> Just looking at the basket and how, how they're going to fit 16 people in there. Uh, we're going to go and get acquainted with everybody that we're going to be flying with. And uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk to you a little bit later on. Help! That noise you can hear is our balloon being inflated. We've had our safety instructions and we're in a basket with two other people, one of whom took a look at us and I think has been in the toilet ever since. This is really going to be an adventure. We've had the instructions about what to happen if the balloon falls over. If it does, it's been lovely recording this podcast and uh, enjoy the new presenter. Oh my gosh. The, the ground, it's going further away. Either the cars are shrinking or we're going higher. I, I don't remember being with matchbox cars in a very small field. What's amazing is we're now, what, double tree height, is the speed at which this thing rises. It's much, much quicker than I would have thought. If you look off to our right... Does that mean I need to open my eyes? If you, if you look off to the right, you can see the sun is just beginning to pop its head over the horizon. And we're going to hear lots of those noises in the background. It's to keep my ears warm, I think. So we're in the area of Trakai, and as I said earlier, we'll talk a lot more about Trakai later on. With three balloons, the balloon that we're in holds 16 people, the other couple of balloons hold four people. Off in uh, the distance, we're heading towards the main lake where Trakai Castle is located. The area is just stunningly beautiful. As we were told the other day by Lena, the um, foliage is changing. And whilst we saw oh, well. well, we saw it within the town uh, the other day, here we're just seeing an entire vista of full foliage, and it's stunning. It's mainly greens, but it's our pilot next to me. Just flying over some farmland now. Just the greens and the yellows and the reds at the top of the trees. Autumn here is beautiful, really beautiful. We've just landed in a field filled with mud. And remarkably, our driver, pilot of the hot air balloon, just came out with a guitar. I've got no idea what else is in another box. And he started to tell stories. He started in Lithuanian, but we're going to get an English version of it as well. We carry on the tradition which began with the first flight ever. It happened in France in 18th century. Two brave guys, Pilater de Rosien and Marquis d'Arland, took off from Garden of Palace of Versailles with a big paper bag, similar to ours, a little bit smaller, filled with smoke, because back then they thought that smoke lifts everything up. One time up, one time down. I guess the landing was even rougher than ours, but still successful. And the king himself followed them and baptized them. So we carry on this tradition. Everyone after the first flight gets baptized. And we do that with the fire, because fire lifts us up. We put down the fire with champagne, because the tradition started in France, so of, of course. 
and uh, we seal it with a little bit of soil because after each flight we want to get back to the ground safely. I'm going to have to describe this because I didn't realize there was an actual ceremony. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe what I am looking at. This is, this is quite incredible. Oh my golly gosh. Mark, you've got to explain. <laughs> Apparently, they're busy burning hair and they went to a bloke with <laughs> no hair other than a little ring around the back. You can see his face. He hasn't got much and they're busy burning it. They're actually taking to each person. They've got the type of lighter that you would use to light a gas stove. They are setting people's hair on fire, including Mark's right now. Just one thing. Oh, there's mud on there. You cannot, you cannot shower for two weeks. <laughs> I wouldn't anyway. Not a problem. I've absolutely no idea how much of what we just said was understandable because we were so busy laughing. But the ceremony that was performed fits in with the story that was told by our pilot. And they went around the circle and to each person, they set fire to their hair poured champagne over it to douse the flames and then took a piece of mud and rubbed it on your forehead. So everybody at the moment is walking around a field filled with mud, with mud on their foreheads, the smell of burnt hair, whilst sipping rather nice glasses of champagne. Cheers. It's still early in the morning. We're back on not dry land. We're, we're back on land. We've had a quick walk around a lovely concert venue that was a stately home called Ujutrakis. And now we've come over the lake to uh, Trakai Castle. Uh, Lena, can you tell us the importance of Trakai Castle? A little bit about the history of the building and its construction now. Trakai Castle is a very important landmark in the history of Lithuanian Grand Duchy. Lithuanian Grand Duchy existed from the 14th century till the 19th century. It was ruled by a local dynasty of Lithuanian dukes and one of the dukes built Trakai Castle as his capital. His name was Vitotas. By Lithuanians, he's treated as a hero, as a heroic personality, because he expanded Lithuanian Grand Duchy from the Baltic Sea till the Black Sea and uh, made it the largest in Europe for a short while. So you can imagine how important he was for our history. He was born near Trakai and he decided to build his home on islands. Um, that's what makes this castle exceptional because that's the only castle on islands we have in Lithuania. He made it as difficult to access, as difficult to conquer as possible. He made this castle of two particular parts. Uh, one of them was for the defense, for the soldiers to live, another one for his beautiful residence. And he copied the whole design from uh, the Teutonic Order Castle in Malbork, in their capital, because then they had the best technology of war. So he made sure he applied all of them right here in the castle for his uh, defense and for his protection. The castle was destroyed, fell into ruin, we're saying from the 1600s with the first Russian invasion and war. Within 
the the main courtyard, which I'm guessing is around 20 meters by 10 meters. There are three floors around us and above us. You've talked to us about secret passages to the treasury, a way to escape. Um, there's also above us a large tower. You talked also about the heating system down below. But how was all this recreated in the 20th century? How did they know what to do? And, and how accurate is this to what we think it used to look like? It was a very sad looking location until the 20th century when the first archaeological excavations started. The lucky thing was that the perimeter of the castle was absolutely intact. So they knew, you know, the size of it, they knew the walls of it. Um, then when they started to excavate and research, they realized that they have a number of bricks, the forms of bricks, the stones. So they realized that they have some material to base it on. Then, according to our historic data, this castle was really a tiny copy of Malborg Castle. So they consulted the historians in uh, Poland to get information from there. Uh, so it is not authentic 100%, absolutely not. But it resembles the period of the 14th century and 15th century uh, by its technologies, by its defense, by its architectural elements and by the routines of life or, you know, the customs. And it also resembles it by the size and importance. So uh, we don't claim that it's an authentic castle. We're just happy to have it as a monument to our Grand Duke and also to our history of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. Grand Duke Vytautas, when he expanded the territory of Lithuanian Grand Duchy towards the Black Sea, he had quite a number of military campaigns there to fight against Tartars and against the Turkish and other. He noticed that Tartars and Karaites are very good soldiers, that they are very good on horses, that they are fast to react, and that they are very loyal to their military leaders. Then he decided that he, Lithuanian Grand Duchy and the military campaigns needs units of soldiers like that, that are fast to react in defense and that they are furious to, to attack. What he decided to do, he recruited 200 families of both and took them up to Lithuania. We had a debate, a historic debate, if they are recruits or if they are hostages. But what happened was when he brought them here, he actually established villages of Tartars as a defense line of, uh, around basic most important castles. And then he had villages of Karoyams right next to the castle as the bodyguards of the dukes. So the Grand Duke Vitotas gave all them jobs, lands. They assured them income, so those families of both ethnicities uh, adored him as uh, a person who guaranteed them safe and secure life earnings um, and job, a constant job. So whenever you know a Grand Duke Vitotas was ready to go somewhere with a treasury or with a campaign, Karims would follow as his bodyguards. Tartars would follow as the units of on on horses, helping out if there's if he needs a protection. That's how they appeared in this particular town, and that's where they have their almost like a capital of Karaite culture in in Lithuania, 
because they were placed here to guard the castle of Grand Duke Vitotas and there is the whole street of their houses and I will show you later uh, of the old town where you recognize the house of a Carium family. All of them up till now, you know, belong to Carium families and they have businesses here and as you already noticed, they uh, preserve their culture, language and religion as probably none of the other ethnicities around Lithuania. My name is Arturas. Welcome to Trakai. You are visiting one of the most nice and best places, Trakai. Today you are visiting the restaurant Kibilar. It is actually our restaurant is working more than 18 years and we representing only the true Karim cuisine. Actually, the Kam community history started more than 600 years ago when the great Duke Vitotas uh, brought our community from the Crimea. And until 21st century, our community saved our traditions, our religion, our language and our cuisine. We have only 200 persons in our community here in Lithuania. In Traka is living 50 persons. In the older world, it's approximately 2.5 yeah, from the religion side. But uh, we saved our traditions, we saved our religion religion, our language, I will introduce you about that, yeah, language and of course our cuisine. It's happy that we still, our community is existing, yeah. Can I ask you a really difficult question? Yeah. You sure? Of course. Okay. The Karaite religion is based on the Old Testament, not accepting the commentaries and so on. How do you manage these days with things like electricity on the Sabbath, and so on, or is that not an issue for you? Actually, yeah, our religion, this name is the Karaism, it's based on Old Testament, like you said, and we doesn't accept it, uh, some kind of the interpretations of the Old Testament. Saturday, yeah, we have uh, praying in the Knesset, yeah, but we are using the electricity, we are using normally bank card, because I know some others, the communities, they not using the electricity, like you said for me, ex examples, bank cards and so on. We are looking more liberal to the situation, and we can use and we're doing that. It's like a normal day, but it's the celebrate day when we're going for the service, we're going for the praying. Because here in the small place, in small city, you can visit the Kenesa, it's our church, our praying house. Yeah. Uh, actually, in Lithuania, you can find only two Kenesas here in the truck and another one in the Vilnius. Also, near the Kenesa, you can find the school of the Karim language, where we are learning and we're teaching our community members yeah, our own language. Because for us, it's very important that we have to know our own language. Yeah. Today, you will taste a traditional pastries, which is name is the Kibbin. Today you will try to prepare this pastry, it's not so easy. But I will show you how to do it, yeah? You will try it, you will taste, and you will say for me, it's tasty or not, yeah? <laughs> we will only say it's tasty. I hope so. Our hosts have very kindly bought me a cup of Krupnik, which usually means barley, but here it is an alcoholic drink, a sweet one with a cinnamon taste. So I'm now going to sample it. Hmm. I might sample a bit more and join you again in about an hour. Last stop on a busy, busy day. We've really been running around this morning. The airport beckons, but our hosts at Lithuania Travel thought it would be really uh, interesting for us to visit the Modern Art Museum. Uh, neither Mark nor I are particularly into modern art, but they've created a wonderful space which Mark will talk about. 
and uh, it's filled with photography, much of which, particularly on the upper floor, they, they have uh, right now a ph photographic exhibition, and it focuses on customs, um, celebrations. Celebrations. So you've got people celebrating religious holidays and weddings depicted in very interesting and unusual ways. And then you've also got rebellion. Rebellion and freedom. Which is very much a theme across Eastern Europe. And we've certainly felt that over our couple of days here in, in Vilnius and the surroundings. So Mark, do you want to fill us in a little bit about this space? Yes. It's designed by the Polish-American architect Daniel Liebskind. As you walk up towards the building and come around the corner against all of the more traditional Lithuanian buildings, suddenly there is something very typically Daniel Liebskin. Square, angles going all over the place, very stark, deconstructed building in white, sat in the middle of everything else. There's a sculpture garden outside, and the first thing you come across is a pair of hairy hands. They're very large hairy hands. Very large hairy hands, which I think almost was the most challenging sculpture that we've seen here. I think it's a very much a flexible space. The exhibitions change quite regularly. In a way, it's a bit of a shame, but we walked past a window and it said there are 5,000 pieces of art stored here. So the kind of modern art I like, paintings, there is very little of that here. There is a... At the moment. Yeah. There is a Donald Duck exhibition taking the 1930s Donald Duck cartoons and putting them on buckets. There is a Eurovision exhibition, which is a set of curtains <laughs> and a chance for you to stand against the curtains and pose like Lithuania's Eurovision entry for the year. Also, there's an entire floor devoted to children. Yeah, if not half of the building, because it's, it's as well as the floor devoted to children, in the events hall, I think they're doing something for Sunday morning related to Donald Duck. Let's just wrap here, shall we, our visit. I came here expecting something similar to Poland. Uh, we're not a million miles from Poland, we're on... 100 kilometers from the border with Belarus. I expected very much a similar Eastern European experience, but I don't think it has been at all. Our host, uh, to whom we must thank Indra from uh, Lithuania Travel, said it's a, a modern Nordic area. Yeah. It's very much a Scandinavian feel yeah. here. This is not the Baltics as such. Baltics being part of the, the former Soviet Union, mm -hmm. part of the communist bloc. This is, I think, as you called it, the new Nordics. Yeah. Yeah add this to Scandinavia, add this to Finland, you know, Lithuania has that feel. And although we're only 30 years post-communism, you feel very European, very attached to Europe. It feels like a very safe city, a modern city. People here are very arty. But above all, people here are polite and friendly and welcoming and tall. Yes, incredibly tall. So let's do a final thank you, as I say, to Indra and all of Lithuania Travel and to Lena. I've been calling her Lena throughout the time and she very quietly whispered right at the end, she said it's Lena. Not the first thing we're going to mispronounce. <laughs> we didn't even try to pronounce Lithuanian after our failures in Poland. So Lina, thank you very much indeed for your incredible, incredible guiding and warmth and hospitality. And indeed, pretty much to everybody that we've met, thank you for making this a wonderful experience, yeah. for being warm. We stayed at a, a lovely hotel called the Pachai and the staff there just could not do enough for you, could not be friendly enough, engaging enough. It was a very, very different experience. And the restaurants we visited, like the, the Rose Hip. Joxmas. Yeah, and the... Locus. And also the cocktail bars that we popped into. Nick and Nora. Right. Uh, and the loud one that I can't the remember. really loud one. It was in but it. everywhere, 
everything has been and especially today the fun we had with our care right cooking and and, and and the food we had there was and just what was amazing. he Lorinas, our pilot our pilot who, who was just who, yes, such a gentleman my hand is still hurting from his, his <laughs> terrible landing but other than that and, and it's not often you have your hair burnt and have, <laughs> sh- have champagne poured on your hair so it, from the mo the museum of modern art right in the center of Vilnius, it's time for us to say farewell to head to the airport and go back home Let's see what cooks up next on the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Bye-bye. Bye.